everyone, welcome to Bookversations. We're your hosts, Sayed. And I'm Mahmouda. Join us as we have conversations inspired by books. This episode's conversation is inspired by Brené Brown's Daring Greatly, How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent and Lead. Yes, baby. Okay. (laughs) Tell us what the book is about. So this book is basically Brené Brown's research on shame and vulnerability. And in her research, she tells you what she's learned from her research. She tells you how to um, live a more vulnerable life, but she also shares why vulnerability is a good thing. And I love how after every chapter, she like kind of gives you action points or things that you can start applying in your life. And she ends the book with um, what it means to live to be vulnerable. So what it means to live a whole hearted life. I love that. And you can also go and download some like manifestos that you can put in your house and your fridge. Really? On her website. There's three oh, I didn't them. find that. You can print it out. And there's one about parenting, which I absolutely love. I can't remember what someone I know online, some celebrity says he has it in his kitchen or something. And so you can print that out, and that kind of reminds you all the time how you how you can like how you intend to live your life, basically. Um, yeah. So the book is about research on shame and vulnerability, right? Which is a very big part of the human experience. Literally, basically. I think it's that. That's which why is, so many people love her. And the book, because I feel like the book just puts names. She puts names to like all these emotions. I think the biggest one for me when I first read the book, when I got to that page of foreboding joy, I was mm. like, "This is me." Now, Daring Greatly changed my life. Yeah, I actually did. (laughs) Daring Greatly changed the way I see so many things. Like, it's changed my experiences as people. Oh, no, that is a beautiful book, anyways. But before we get to Carrie the Way, we're going to talk about the things we love about What did we love? So, Mahmouda, what did you like about the book? The question is, what did I not like about the book? It's not possible to dislike. Exactly. I've not seen anyone that said to me, oh, I read Daring Greatly and I didn't like it. Actually, once someone I knew, oh, I recommended it to, she was like, she struggled to get into it. Because in the beginning, she talks a lot about the research before she actually gets into the story. But then I was like to her, no, give it time. And I remember the next day, she was like, nah, I'm so glad I gave it time. Because when I got to this point, I realised, this woman is my life. She knows my life. (laughs) She knows my story. She's talking about me. And that's what I love about Brenda Brown. She relates it to her experiences so she doesn't make it like i am here and you guys are down there no it's we're in this journey together and i just absolutely love it she's such a giving writer i think like i definitely echo like your point in terms of it's the fact that she makes it she's showing you i've been through this journey as well like one that i love yeah like doing her interviews when she talks about how the year that she had her breakdown and i love how she crosses it down crosses and say spiritual yeah, awakening I love that as well. and she went to a therapist and she's like this is what's wrong with this is what's wrong with this is what i need to fix 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 and her therapist was like that's not how that's we not do it <laughs> like, kind of saying, exactly. this, is me. this is what i'm trying to get to and i need to get that by this time yeah mm-hmm. but she's actually been through that journey herself so mm-hmm. even though the book is very research-based because she's been she's through that journey, you trust so you her a lot. Like, and you don't feel like it's just research being thrown at you. She's very good at like turning her research into story, which she says she get criticised for by people. Really? Yeah, you know, people say, that, what kind of storyteller, what kind of researcher or psychologist I love comes that. Up. Like, I love it as well. That's what makes me it love easier to follow as well. If imagine just reading facts and numbers. Ex- like, no one has time for that. It's just yeah. transformation. I think for anyone who suffers with, like, perfectionism... I think this book will change your life no matter what level you're on in yeah. life. Because I feel like there's something you definitely take away from it. It's a beautiful book. I love her definition of love. I think she just sums it up in, like, 
The, why are you smiling? I read it to you, but anyway, what else do you love? I'm gonna go find it. What else I feel like I remember it, but I can't remember it again. I think I've read it so many times. If anyone asks me what's love, I'm like, ask Brandy Brown. It was like I was in a few pages, I was like, so I need to read the, this book as well. I remember and I bought it because yeah. you told me to, you gave me your copy, and I was like, no, I can't do this. I have to buy my own copy. Because I was reading it and I was making notes, I was like, oh my god, what is happening? Why am I making so much notes? Why am I making so much notes? I made so many notes. I think this is the one book I'm sure I probably highlight almost every page for two books now. The weight and this one. We'll talk about that later. Oh my god! No, I cannot book. wait for us to talk about the weight. Can I just say? Can I just say? Can okay, I just say? The second me. read of the weight. I can't wait. That that podcast. I think the weight is like a book that I feel like I'm going to read every year. Daring greatly, but then that's daring greatly. You always way. need I feel it. Like that. it. You can never not need it's it. It's a journey true. kind of that's book. True. Like at whatever stage you are in your journey in life. There'll be something this, about like it you that's relevant, and you read it again, and you just think, "Oh, this is like I'm getting new, deeper meanings from it." So, thank you for blessing us. Oh yeah, find my definition of love. Around. Yes. So she said, what is it? "We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known, and when we honor the spirit spiritual connection that grows from that offering of trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get; it is something that we nurture and grow." connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists within each one of them we can only love others as much as we love ourselves shame blame disrespect betrayal and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows love can only survive these injuries if they are acknowledged healed and rare she is actually the queen she's amazing of oh no just everything goes and when i read that i was like that is love because she's not saying love us perfect it's a spiritual connection and i feel like people underestimate that because people just throw the word love around everywhere oh i love this person do you do you really love do you i feel like now one thing that i'm being very careful with is the words I utter and it goes counterproductive to our culture where it's like the more you speak the more people kind of like like it and you want your words to come from your heart but it's like what you said about people saying I love this I love that I love that are you just saying that to fill space but do you actually love it and are you taking the space for you to connect and think what do I actually want to express ask yourself every time before you speak that is this thing I'm about to say going to add to the progress of I don't know any situation or is it going to even make things worse because sometimes Mm -hmm. you say something without without realising you could have done about saying it you pick and choose what you say when you're more mindful because yeah. you have to ask yourself before you say something all the time and it's that when you're stopping to ask yourself then you'd know is this even relevant does mm-hmm. this even add to this conversation we're having if not let's move on but i feel like some people just some people talk just to few spaces and it makes me uncomfortable same <laughs> i love when we can sit down together and be comfortable in our silence and it's not like oh i'm, I'm being silent because i don't like you know it's just we don't have anything important or relevant to say. It's and it's fine. not a problem. It's not. It's actually think, not. When you're not talking, it's because there's tension. But there's no tension. Oh, you are hit on the nail. Like, sometimes, why are you not speaking? But it's like, Literally. I have nothing to say. I feel like Islam is so sure. on the point about the way in which food affects our heart and that's our spirituality. True. And what we say affects our heart and spirituality. That, and it's this year that I've noticed, I'm like, oh my God, what you say has important. so much of a big effect. It's, and I'm like... I can't wait for you to read that mindfulness book. It's so in line with what Islam teaches us. Mm. How Islam teaches us to be and act. She talks about education for outcome, which is nothing to do with this, but it's just how she says how when you raise a child, are you teaching them to ask the question, can I do it? Or how do I do it? Because when the question is, can I do it? Then you start to judge yourself against your abilities. Whereas if it's how to do it, then when you don't know how to do something, you don't see yourself as a failure. It's just, okay, I don't know how to do it, but I can learn how to do it. That's powerful. And I was like, I was shooting um, some boy and he must have got some questions wrong. And he was crying. Mm. And I was like, are you crying because you think failure is a bad thing? And he was like, yes. And I was like, let me tell you now, 
failure is not a bad that's what I love about teaching because you can like especially teaching little children mm. because you can start to watch their mindset and some of them I watch the way their mom talked to them and I try to reverse it so for example one of the parents I, I took the two of their kids the first child is academically smarter than the other one but then I feel like that's inevitable the first child is two years older than the brother so he has experiences that mm. that one doesn't have mm. but the way they compare them has made the first child a bit proud so when he's talking to his brother I remember the younger brother was like to me he said he knows everything I was like no he doesn't know everything or his, mm. his brother would be like I can do this and you can't I'm like you can do it because of the class you're in exactly he's not in your class yet so you can't do it you can't do it and i was trying to make the younger one read a book and then the older one that like, he can't read that book and i was like don't say that and i made the younger one read a book and he could read it Aww. i was like you just need to try yes he's going to take time and you just need to pause every time you can't say a word but that's what learning is so it was the older one because he's used to being told that he's amazing when he then got those questions wrong that's why he was crying yeah. because i feel like he's, he's now measured his worth against how well he does academically and daring and greatly is so good because daring greatly tells you that you are enough you, you are enough you without any adding no which is what i love about how a lot tells you in the quran is it self-worthy a lot tells us in the Quran that he has created us and that's all you need to know that's he has created it. you Full he didn't stop. say I have created you and then you have to do all of this for me to love you no he's created mm. us he's love, he mm. loves us we need to do other stuff but that's not my heart just for him to love us he already loves us the way he has created I us I have to pause why am I about to cry that hit me that actually did so I was like to him start saying this to yourself now you can feel five times you can feel ten times it's fine because the point is not to get it all right the first time if you get it all right the first time you don't learn anything mm. you get it wrong now you can say okay what did i do wrong is it my approach is it how i solved it what can i do differently next time and i even went as far to give him an example of when i feel it was well because i don't want him to think oh this she's just giving me advice but she's my teacher so she can say but i'm like no i said when i was in uni I did this course and I failed it. But then if I didn't fail it, I wouldn't have known to approach it in this way, that way or that way. And I think examples as well. If sharing a story with someone else obviously helps them realise that they're not alone and you're in this together. And then they stop crying. I was like, oh, that is so sweet. So I love teaching kids, man. I love teaching kids. To impart some knowledge. Knowledge, Some daring greatly into his life. Because when you're all focused on like the academic, the outcome, then you don't want to try anything new because you're thinking, what if I fail? Right. After, a little detour let's talk about the conversation <laughs> point the first one is a question so what areas of our lives have we practiced more courage since we first read this book a year ago you start because so, i know you've been implementing this book so one of the things i learned though i think one of the biggest one for me from daring greatly was you're enough like i think after i read just even before i finished the book after i read that phrase my life changed is it? and some things i used to tolerate i stopped tolerating it anymore how because i'm an overthinker right and I like to, I wouldn't call myself a people pleaser, right? But I used to try to do things for people a lot. People say, people say I'm too nice, quote unquote, right? But then there's a line between being too nice and just almost killing yourself for other people, right? Mm. Reading this book helped me draw that line. One thing I learned when I read this book, oh, God of mercy. When someone does something to me and they try to say, oh, but you made me, I'm like, bruv, I am not in control of your actions. You have a choice as to what you can do. You can choose what you want to do. Which is true. It's allowed me to stop blaming myself for things I didn't even have any responsibility over. Like, it wasn't my fault that this didn't happen in the first place. So that was something for me. I think my life has changed so much from reading Daring Greatly. You helped me see myself. It helped me see myself differently and how I relate with people. From reading Daring Greatly, you'd be like, you can see that some people don't even know about these things. They're not aware. So they exactly. don't even know that this thing that they're doing is, I don't know, toxic or mean or bad. 
let me that I know better I should therefore act better because I'm in control of how I respond to them I was reading meditations by this what's that guy is it Marcus Marcus Aurelius yeah and there's a part where it was like in every morning before he starts the day we're like today I'm going to start my day and I'm going to meet some crazy or like snobby rude people I am not in control of what they do or what they say but I can choose how I respond and imagine starting your day like thinking like that so that's how like Darren really played put that in my head so when I interact with people I'm like okay this person can be rude to me but again we have the choice Mm. another thing that Darren really taught me is because I have that thing my friends call it mothering instinct right so when someone comes to me with like a problem I always almost always try to fix it as if it's like I'm the cause of it or as if it's my problem like Mm. I'm always trying to make sure you're like 100% okay and all that stuff right but sometimes it becomes too much and there's a point where you're giving too much of yourself to first of all people that don't deserve it second of all it's just people that don't even want your help and third of all like it's not even worth it and you know there's a part in the book where she talks about oversharing yeah and how there's this thing where sometimes people just dump their story on you and then you don't know how to react because it's like yeah. you're not even at that stage it's too yet, sudden. or you're not on the same page and i think something like similar to that happened to me but then reading daring really helped me like navigate like is this person actually oversharing that's good yes they are but then like okay what do I do about it? If I don't respond the way they want me to respond, it's not because of me. It's just because I wasn't expecting it. Therefore, then I can't blame myself if, like, it didn't help them heal. Or it's also taught me you can't help people if, like, they don't want your help. Because mm-hmm. when from reading her book, you would see how, like, there's sometimes where she could have done something differently. But because she wasn't ready to see it, she just didn't do it. And then when she saw it, she was like, oh, my God, I could have done this. But then it wouldn't have happened if she didn't make that realisation for herself, basically. Yeah. So anyways, that was very... Everyone's on their timeline in life. Yeah, And I think sometimes you, like, you want to speed it up, you want to slow it down. No, you can't. But it's just more important to focus on yourself. Like, I really like that's that important. point about, okay, like, that's what, responsibility. That's true. That's one thing I learned from Daring Greatly as well. I take responsibility for, like, every single thing that I do yeah. and I say. Yeah. I think Daring Greatly just allowed me to be more aware. I love that. Awareness is key. And how our, what we do affects other people. So because you don't exactly. realise. But then when you read the book and you realise how much of an impact people have on you, then it helps to have more empathy for other people and see how much impact other people's... Empathy. That's key such a to success. Thing, okay? If you don't have empathy, we can't be friends. What areas um, of your life have you practised more courage since you first read this book? I think worthiness as well. Like, the first time I read it, we asked each other the question. You know how we asked the question when you think of the um the word I am not dash enough and I was yeah. like what comes to mind and we had the same answer. I was and like, I'm good not good enough. enough. Yeah. That's what it freed me from. Yes, well, yes, said yes, I remember. <laughs> no, it doesn't freed me. No, but it, it, was just, it makes you more conscious, like when it. you're having that dialogue. Because no, normally you're like you might be used to and there's a lot of I'm not yeah, like yeah, there's a lot enough, of yeah. what do you call it, phrases that come come after I'm not exactly I'm not beautiful enough. I'm, I'm not, not intelligent, uh, enough. intelligent enough. I'm not not great enough. Exactly, like so I'm many not, cool not enough. enough. And you don't realize the damage that that does to your I'm psyche if every you. single day, every single moment, whenever a situation happens, the first thing that comes to your mind is, "I'm not good enough." Like I'm not capable enough. I'm not a good. I feel like I know, read that book in a perfect good, time, you know. Exactly, and I think just reading that again, going back to your point about being worthy, it just frees you of so many things. Daring greatly. Oh my god, you know freedom. what? Actually, it was because you know how before you'd apply for jobs. And then you would tie a lot of your things work. to you. You tie your worth to a lot of things to the work that you did or to the jobs you applied for. So when you didn't get a job, you'd be like, maybe I'm not good enough. Exactly. But then it's like, no, it's nothing to do with you. Maybe I didn't have enough skills. Maybe I'm not doing my personal statement in the right way or my CV in the right way. 
but it's nothing to do with whether I'm good enough or not. And it helped me change the things that I say. That's that's a good one. That's exactly. True. Like so conscious yeah. of your internal dialogue. And I think yeah, even just that thing of like stop tying your worth to your job, stop tying your worth and say like to your relationship. Your worth is your worth full stop, I think. Or like comments that people give you, you mm. are in your stuff. Worthy. Because imagine if it tied you, you to how people treated you. Can you imagine? Because human beings are very fickle. Someone can love you today and hate you tomorrow. What are you going to do about that? Exactly. Then? You can't crash every time. What else? What other areas have I practiced more, more courage. courage? Just doing things that I normally would have been afraid of. Because again, it's that <gasps> thing of like, what if you fail? Oh my god, yes! I forgot I also that from per- Perfectionism as well. Okay, that's true. I'm not a perfectionist. Yeah. Was a perfectionist. I sometimes I still have that tendency. <laughs> you know what actually Darren Gay taught me? Was you know that thing and where you don't say someone is something because then it becomes as if the quality is inherent. You can't yes. take it away from them. You say the example she gave in the book of her daughter, who she was like the teacher called her from school and said that I just learned your work and what your daughter did. So the daughter like was making a mess, and the teacher said, um, "You're a mess." And then she said, I'm not a mess. I'm just making a mess. Which is the two different things. Your mess means like you can't be changed. You're a mess. Whereas you're making a mess means you can still be cleaned up. Since then, I actually consciously like try to watch how I talk to people. Yeah. And the moment I say something, like, oh, I can't believe you're doing this. You're so lazy. I literally stop myself and I tell them, okay, you're not lazy, but you're being lazy. And you can change from being lazy to... That was one thing I learned. The difference between me. guilt and shame that she explained in this book yes. is powerful. I think it's one of the best things about this book because so many people like you said go through life exactly go through life shaming themselves thinking that's how they're going to change but it's not the way it's actually you know what actually I was speaking to someone and she was like this girl doesn't have any shame or uh, she's shameless or I don't remember and then she was like, oh, she's shamed people so she can help them change. I was like, no, that's not, that's not the part. Sorry, it really isn't. Because then if you tell someone, like, you're a bad person, you're a bad person, you what's the incentive for them it. exactly to be like, I can be different? Oh, yeah, you've made God. the wrong decision now. But that's the thing. But there's I think the possibility of not... change for everyone. Literally. And if after reading that book, Mindset, which we need to talk about as well, you realise that it doesn't matter what age you are, you can actually change your mindset. Even though people always say at some point in your life, you can't change anymore. You know how people have this thing. It's actually, from reading Mindfulness, actually it's a yeah. different book from mindset you learn that these things that people say when you get to a certain age you can't change it's all a lie it's just a phrase that people say and because people say this phrase so much it's ingrained in your head so that when you become true. old you just tell yourself i can't change anyway i'm old but based on the research that she is ellen her name is ellen langer, langer based on the research she has done you can tell that old age people can change and can make different decisions which is what you also learn in mindset where carol dweck was like people say that um your, your mindset's, I don't know, your mindset's the same, but then they realise from experiment that like, people still form new neurological pathways at a certain age. So you can always change. I'm so interested in neuroscience. I think you should join me on my journey. <laughs> I'm just saying, because it is very interesting. When it's I was reading fascinating. mindfulness and I saw all the research that I did, and I was like, wow. Read about these things, or you hear this, and then you accept it as your narrative, because that's what keeps going on around. And it's being able to stop and change that narrative. But then if you're not exposed to different, you don't realise that you can actually stop and mm. change your narrative. You know, sometimes I think about it and I'm like, they want people that don't have access to these books that we have access to or research. Oh. So we know differently or we know better, but they don't. Well, there are those who actually have access to them, but they don't want the access to it. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> no, just saying, because I just remember I was talking to somebody and I was like, you know how I keep saying I'm not going to marry, marry a man that doesn't read it? Yeah. And then somebody was like, you do know that there's somebody in life that just don't like reading, right? And I'm like, it's not for me. And you don't listen to podcasts. What do you do then? That's my question. Like, I'm not saying read the same books as me. I'm saying read something. Must read an audio something. bit. I don't right? care. Make sure that there's somebody that just don't like reading. Even the crowd read. is Ikra, like. That's why that was my. That's my justification anyway. 
You're meant to seek knowledge in Islam anyway. Because I'm trying to like, record our whole life in a tablet with a pen. Like, don't play yourself. Reading. Knowledge isn't so important, right? Um, but I think that conversation came because my brother was telling me he doesn't like reading. She's like, oh, it gets bored of I was like, you haven't found the right book exactly, yet. Exactly, that's and what I would say I too. Think you, I said to him, I think you need to explore. Because obviously not every book is for you. And that's perfectly fine. Which is But you can't just well. dismiss reading in general because you feel like all books... No, you haven't read all books. So you can't say that you just don't like reading because books make you bored. Listen to something. If you don't want to like, oh, dude, sit that's down what I said. Listen. listen to something. One well, of, how are you gaining knowledge? Because I remember, even in mindfulness, she said... The lack of new information is what leads to mind. It's one of the things that leads to mindlessness. Wow. So, because you don't, your brain stops creating new categories, so you just keep doing things the same way, even if it doesn't make sense. So, since the book is a greatly about vulnerability, mm-hmm. I'm going to define what she says is vulnerability in the book, and then we'll, we'll talk about how we define vulnerability. So, in the book, it says. Vulnerability is not weakness, and the uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure we face every day are not optional. Our only choice is a question of engagement. Our willingness to own and engage with our vulnerability determines the depth of our courage and the clarity of our purpose. The level to which we protect ourselves from being vulnerable is a measure of our fear and disconnection. So, how do you define vulnerability? Oh my gosh, before you even ask, before I say my definition, Mm -hmm. I was just about to say... I was getting to mention this before, but one another thing I got from Brenna Brown from reading Daring Greatly was I started doing things I would not normally do. Yeah. Now, like, I just, the question in my head became, what's the worst that would happen? And I tried to make sure my friends saw that. So, you know, someone wanted to do something, and I was like, what's the worst that happened? It's not going to take anything away from you, so why don't you just give it a go? And it's allowed me to throw myself into so many different experiences. So, vulnerability for me is telling someone that I love them. Oh. Move, man. <laughs> Can you say on audio that you love me, please? <laughs> 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 oh, Mida, you know I love you. I don't hear it enough. Can you say it again? Move. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that is powerful. Yes. And everyone will have like their niche area of like. I guess so. Not niche area, but like there's something that's like particular to you that's like your vulnerable point. I'm telling you. And so that's where you no, challenge for me because you know what it takes to tell someone vulnerable. that you actually love them. Yeah. And I know I always uh, I say love you a lot to people who I actually love yeah. though, but it, it takes a lot of courage to just tell somebody that I love you because you know what comes with that is the fear of rejection, right? That's but then these days it's like fine or whatever you can reject me because I'm not loving you because I expect you to love me but I think that's something important to have at the back of your head I'm not loving you for you, with expectation that you should love me back Jude the Daily Vulnerable he had a newsletter I can't remember what day it was okay. and it was saying about how he said he loved you to someone and the person didn't love him back and somebody must have been like saying, hurrah how did I make you feel and it was like it's fine because I'm not loving you because I expected something back. I'm just loving you because I love you. And that's the thing. I guess that helps you understand how unrecruited love can be a thing because you could love someone and that doesn't mean that they'll love you back. Okay. It might be what you see in them and that's okay. It doesn't have to be a bad or sad thing. Well, I got to answer to my We question. finally solved the puzzle to one of our podcasts that we recorded. That's an answer to the question I've been trying to find. Well, yeah. That's good. That is so true. What is vulnerability for you? I think vulnerability is going all in and not being afraid to show all parts of yourself like i always no, link I get you. vulnerability to a lack of fear not a lack of fear but the fear of, doesn't hold you it doesn't stop the courage basically exactly it that's stop it you from it taking doesn't action. stop the courage because fear can kill fear it is really actually can. a prison but then for me i think i'd rather as trevor never said i'd rather 
do something and feel then live with regret for the rest of my life of not trying something i wish i did this and i wish i did that i'd rather be rejected than never know the outcome of the situation so for example i'll ever tell you i love you and be rejected and in my head be like does she love me does she not because you spend so much energy and you know that is actually draining the things that you don't have that you don't have like the courage or you place of vulnerability that you don't take action on you spend so much time worrying about, about them it. Mm-hmm. that it's actually so futile that you might as well... You might as well just do and it. It's easier said than just, done. No, but then no, I, just I feel like it just, it's you do it and it would probably... Hard, would, if it hurts you on the day... You save a lot of or, time. Or a couple of hours or That's a couple it, of months. You, you eventually, I feel like you'd eventually get over the hurt. But if it's the one where you don't even know, you would never. Yeah. And if you're surrounded by this person a lot, then you're always reminded of the fact that you have this thought in your head. And it's just like, oh man, it is draining to be honest. Yeah. Mentally draining. So vulnerability is allowing yourself to be seen and also and trusting heard. yourself. And heard. actually, vulnerability is putting my work out there. That's another one. That oh my too. God, that's, that's, oh, my that's writing is my writing. It's my writing especially. I don't know how many yeah. people know that I write. You know. Why would they not know that you write? Like, no fiction. Oh, okay. Maybe not blog posts. People yeah. know I write blog posts. I don't think anyone knows I write. Apart from those who have like seen like yeah. my work or I've shared it with them. It's a big one for me. Because the thing about non-fiction is... Which is also fiction, but non-fiction is that oh, this is my opinion. Or my blog post, these are my opinions. This is what I've learned. Whereas fiction is like, you've made this thing up, right? Or you've made this story and it's like, you either like it or you don't. It's a subjective thing. It's, it's still about creativity. But then it is life as well. So you just put it out there and those who would like it and those who won't like it. But it's knowing that you're going to be okay even if people That's don't accept it. it. Because your work liking is not... your work enough. Oh, yeah, because you know, your work is not, not your defined work. By so your liking work. your work enough to just put it out there and know that what is constructive criticism is constructive criticism. It's not an attack on you. And even if someone was to attack you, you would know that, okay, you're attacking <gasps> the work and not me. One thing that I've discovered this week, vulnerability mm-hmm. is me giving feedback. Because yeah. I'm really uncomfortable. Like, it's that thing of... I can be brutal. <laughs> and I know that. No, but it's good to be brutal, though. Mm, I think... I not know. brutal in not a everyone, bad way. Yeah, exactly, not everyone can... But, like, sometimes you just want to... Like, when you're... Exactly, but... I feel like I'm more accustomed to... I think you can be brutal and constructive at the same time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it's that. But then I'm also conscious of the fact that not everyone can will receive it in this way that I intend for them. Because people can't read your intentions. Like, you can be saying something with the best of intentions. And I know that, like, someone's work is not... Yeah. Like their worth is not defined by their but work. They, if so if I'm giving that, feedback, right? I'm giving it from that place, but not everyone receives it. But you it's that that consciousness you can of the also fact say that in the nicest way, and those people also take it the wrong way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so vulnerability is being honest and staying true to yourself and knowing that, like you can't, you can say the truth. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes being like, able to. If I'm like, oh, I don't really like this, and then I'm like, oh, but I don't want to hurt you. Yeah, feelings. and then I'll just no, be diplomatic one. about it. But then I've always said, I said to people now that our friendship is not dependent on this one action that I do. To exactly. You. We have so many things that make us friends, or that have led us being friends. Therefore, if I do this thing that you don't like, we can talk about it, and perhaps we never even agree about it, but. You don't then say because of that one thing we're no longer friends because our friendship is not built on this one event. Yeah. So I guess making people aware of that as well. But I try to when I'm giving advice, I try to make sure even though I don't like giving advice because my experience is that they're interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but when I'm giving advice, I like to make it clear that I'm not trying to judge you. I'm just stating it from. I'm just trying to give you my perspective mm. on things. This is not a judgment of you. This is not an attack on your person. I actually always say that this is not an attack on your person. <laughs> Sound like a teacher. Kind of it's not because an you have to make it. No, well, you have to you. make it clear. 
Because if I say something, then someone might think, oh, she's saying this because she doesn't like me or because she sees me in this way. So I Because we can't read each other's thoughts That's why. Well. That's the problem. I try to make it and um, put in clarity so that you don't, put, I don't, I try to not leave room for assumptions that's good. or doubts, basically. That's what I try to do. So moving on to the subject of fitting in and belonging, there's a quote that says from the book, one of the biggest surprises in this research was learning that fitting in and belonging are not the same thing. In fact, fitting in is one of the greatest barriers to belonging. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires it requires us to be who we are. You know what? Why that was such a profound thing for me and also surprising for me is because you hear people say a lot of phrases, oh, you need to fit in. We, we barely ever use the word belonging. We used to be like, oh, you need to fit in when you go to a new school. You're always trying to make yourself what people are going to like. But is that actually who you really are? And she said that she asked some 8th graders, you were like young kids in secondary school, to come up with the differences between fitting and belonging. And the answers were, which I thought was very on point. Number one, belonging is being somewhere, somewhere where you want to be and they want you. Fitting is being somewhere you really want to be, but they don't care whether you're there or not. Mm. Belonging is being accepted for you. Fitting in is being accepted for being like everyone else. I get to be me if I belong. I have to be like you to fit in. Which is something you see in to, in this day and age where everyone is trying to be like everyone else just so that they can be accepted. I see I have that problem with Muslims. Let me Do tell you, you okay, problem with Muslims. elaborate, please. I'm going to be very, very elaborate because I was talking to someone about this <laughs> this Monday. I said, I feel like a lot of us Muslims these days, we're trying so hard to fit into the western ideals so that people can accept us Speak so on for it. example for example there'll be something like oh you shouldn't wear nail polish as a muslim well because when you're praying and all that stuff but then what do they do which is a good thing for some people right in my opinion it's a good thing for some people but we went on to make our waterproof so i feel like we keep trying to be like and be islam came as a strange religion based on what the prophet peace be upon him said and it is going to leave, we're going to leave as a strange religion. So why do we always have to bend and break? And you know what I love about Christians or what I admire about the Christians I know is when Christians have this thing in their religion, they do not bend for anyone. For example, prayers, well, prayers at certain times of the day. And you would see that most Muslims, myself included, before I realized the importance of prayer and the times, before, when it's prayer time, instead of me to be like, oh, I'm going to go pray, you'd sit there. Or you would like, maybe for example, somebody, oh, let's go out on Saturday. And you know that it doesn't, like, there's Maghrib time and Maghrib needs to be prayed at a certain time. But you'd be like, oh, yeah, sure, I can make it. And you go, you make it, but you miss prayer. And I have a lot of Christian friends, which they actually, I actually learned a lot from my Christian friends. And I'll be like, oh, let's go to tomorrow. I'll be like, oh, I have churches on Tuesday at six o'clock. And it's unmovable. I don't miss it. It's unshakable. And it's not like it's, a, it's like it's a written part of the religion. It's just something that they do. It's not moving. It's literally. It's or there. one of my friends is also like, I wake up at five um, to do my morning devotion, not moving it for anyone, not changing anything about it. Whereas we, praying in Islam is compulsory, but we would bend and break and turn and shift and twist. If you allow people to, if you show people who you really are, the life you want to live, they don't have a choice but to accept you for the way. But then when you show them that you're willing to break and bend, then they, would, they wouldn't care. They'll be willing to walk all over you. But if I tell you that my boundary is this, 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 a certain stone, I don't do this at this time, they, may not, they might not like it, but over time they'll accept it. Everyone was in placement. I didn't shake hands, right? So every time my colleagues, like, when my colleagues, like, introduced me to other people, they were like, oh, no, no, she doesn't shake hands. So guys, anyway. And I remember some guy was, like, give, was giving me some stupid attitude, right? When my supervisor at work, I was so shocked that he noticed, but I must have noticed, because he must have called me one day and I was like, I love how you always state your principles to people and you never bend, because the thing about life is, he's not Muslim, by the way, he's not even Christian, he has no, he's, I don't think he has any religion, but he was like, the thing about people in general is that 
when you tell them something that that looks different to them that they don't like at first they feel threatened mm. but over time they get used to it and they respect you for it plus they never forget that's powerful which I found is very important and because it said that to me I was like wow you actually noticed because I remember when I first started work some lady was like to me but why don't you shake hands and um, you know it's our British culture to shake hands and hug and I was just like to her my worth does not decrease if I don't shake your hands it doesn't take away from the work I'm coming your to your life's not going to end if I don't shake your hands it doesn't take away from the work I'm coming here to do I'm not less productive when I don't shake hands like but then I just thought that it was important because it would have been very easy for me to like, oh my God, they don't like me at work, so I have to shake hands because I have to fit in. But no, I'm belonging because I can still be who I am. I can still be a Muslim girl that wears mm. a hijab and don't shake hands and I still have a good conversation with you. And for me, that's belonging versus fitting in. Yeah, man. That is powerful. Yeah, but I think it's like part of people, like why people feel the pressure so like belong well, the pressure is there I'm not gonna yeah lie. exactly it's because it's of like all of these age misconceptions of social media and see everything the pressure about Muslims like there. during my training this week like some guy was mentioned how he was working with a couple of people they were like oh we're so surprised that you're Muslim because they found that they, mm-hmm. because you're so nice imagine and I thought what kind of statement is imagine. that like imagine being in that kind of environment <laughs> so it's so because you're conscious of the actions that other people can have you think that you have to fitting fit in is the solution, is the solution to appeasing them, but it's not. It's much better for you in the long run, even though you might find difficult. It's much better for you to be who you are in the beginning. Exactly, because when you're trying to fit in, you need to do use Carolyn Miss's word. You, in some ways, you are betraying the essence of who you are, mm-hmm. and that's what it hurts becomes the uncomfortable most. eventually. You know exactly. You know, there's that feeling that comes with when you know you're not being who you are. You know, you're not, when you're not being your best self. You know, when you're not making the best decision for yourself, and you, it bites in you at your chest. Like it comes with a lot of anxiety. For me, when I know that I'm doing something that I would not normally do, bro, I cannot live with myself. I get very anxious, and I'm just like, this is not good. And that's why pausing is so important because I, f- I feel like you might be on that track and, and be in a situation where you think to yourself, oh my god, I'm trying to fit in. Breathe, pause, and just say this is not me. It's okay for you to do a 180 and just say, this is not me. I know who I am. And then just change the nah, decision. Exactly. And just make that decision. That's what makes people respect you. Then. The fact that you change your mind. I can't change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and I respect people. That's I was watching I this video comments. today. Please, that's why I love Exactly. And I was watching this video today of this woman that's run for politics in Nigeria and she was talking about how when she first started, people were talking so bad about her and she said like her initial reaction was to just go back and hide and then she thought to herself you, you know change. what exactly like is it better for me people are going to talk either way so isn't true. it better for me to come out and show them that yeah, I'm, I'm a changed different. person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I respect means. people who do that because Same. I give you that space for you to show no, that you're a different you know person and sometimes, I expect other people to give me that space as well sometimes even beings don't like to give people so for example if I was this kind of person today and then tomorrow I change my behaviour to being a different person they will want to remind you of that person that you used to be and someone did it to me I think I must have did, done something and she's like, why are you always asking us if you're too nice? And I'm like, I'm not acting as if. This is my natural disposition. But then if you find it difficult to accept, then maybe the first time it's uncomfortable for them and that's their problem. But over time, when you remain consistent in your actions, they have no choice but to accept. I was watching my Angela's documentary on Netflix. Mm. Love it. I love and I remember she, she was like, she loved Malcolm X so much and they had a good friendship mm. and it really hurt her when she died but one thing she loved about him the most was that when he went to Mecca and he came back he was able to say to the world that I have been to a place where people who were blonde uh, and blonde hair and blue eyes called their black black um, counterparts brother so not all black hair blue black blonde hair blue eyed people are devils and she was like, she respected him so much for that. He was the epitome of courage and vulnerability. As in, I have a 
a book of questions, a list of questions in my book I was written over it. The first time I answered this question was like 2015. And the first question was, who is someone you aspire to be like? And my answer, unchanged, remains my baby. Because at the core, it's so oh, powerful. If like, if you, oh my God, that's your screensaver. <laughs> Take a deep breath. It's telling me to think. Every time I make a stupid decision, I look at the switch and I'm like, Malcolm, be like, like, think. that's not what you want to do though. <laughs> Use your brain. Oh, I just man. think like, can you imagine the kind of world we'd be living in if we all had that courage to say, I know I was wrong in the past. Um, do you know how hard it that. is for some people to oh, say? That God. is vulnerability, though. Being able to come and say, Let me tell I you said this hard. to you, but you know what, I'm wrong. I, know, I was saying to someone uh, this year or since last year, and it was one of my goals was to try to tame my ego, not allow my ego to be in control. And that's the thing, when you do something wrong, is realizing okay, I've done something wrong, but your ego would not want you to be like, Oh, I did something wrong. No, your ego would want you to just act like if you didn't notice or just carry on with life. Like, so I tried right. to consciously say, Okay, this thing I said or did was wrong. I shouldn't have reacted that way. Even though I know so for example, I think my mum did something that really irritated me. But the way I reacted was uncalled for. And I feel like perhaps it was a beautiful of other things and all that stuff, but then that's that's an excuse, right? Mm. And in the moment I stopped because obviously I'm trying to be I'm a very reflexive person. So in the moment I stopped and I was like this year reaction was so unnecessary. I mean, yes, you guys have had, I don't know, your, obviously, as usual, arguments or whatever in the past, but this, this, based on what just happened now, this was so unnecessary. And then I had to be like, okay, I'm sorry, I should never reacted in this manner, but it took a lot. I remember my, it was, it was, it was, it was yeah, you go, it's to, just like, I'm not joking. It's just I was about to carry my heart. I'm not joking. But then after I said it, I felt a lot better because the kind of person I am is, if I do something right now and I know that, that's not something I would have done normally or I should have done or is so out of character. If I don't fix it, so if I don't tell you I'm sorry, one way or the other, whether it's by writing it to you or texting you or emailing you or whatever, if mm-hmm. I don't do it, it will eat at me for a very, very long time. And I think that's why people like Malcolm were so free because he wasn't beholden to you. I would have, could have, would have. You just did you it. You just do it. So you're not thinking, I should have. What if? Because your conscience, and I think my conscience is very strong. That's so my good. conscience would... <laughs> it'll prick you like and then every time because I don't know why but I'm just that kind of person so if I'm about to sit down and pray I'll be like my mind will be like so you're about to pray to God but you cannot do this thing that you just you cannot mm. fix this thing that you know that it's wrong that's really powerful so it's just like yeah when it's like a muscle the more you use it when that's true you're sharpening it isn't the it? more you so sharpen you it it really better. is like yeah like I told you about to how I went to meet some random guy <laughs> What? Because no, you know how vulnerability <laughs> is being able to no being able to be continue like, take action. So I saw this guy holding two books I really wanted to read, which is Akala's new book and um, Deep Work by Carl Newport. And I was like, this is a random guy in Stratford Westfield. I thought I told you, and I was like, oh my god, hey, I really like this books. So I want to read them, but normally I'd not, I wouldn't have gone up to him. And I was like, what's the worst that could happen? And it, books are obviously a good conversation start, but it was a good thing to have like to do that basically. And I was like, oh my gosh. That's so good. That but yeah, I've been doing it as well. I said stopping. You know how normally you see someone and they have they look nice. And you compliment them and you hear to oh that looks nice. But then you don't know what your compliment will do for mm. them when they hear it out loud. They might be having a bad day and that could be what changed your day. So I started making a conscious effort instead of just saying oh that looks nice to myself or in my head. I just like oh my god I like you this or that. I 
stop stringing them. I remember I stopped one girl down there. She, I was like, oh, I love your afro. It's so nice. And she was just like, she was shocked. But she was like, oh, thank Aww. you. But I was like, it's just one of those things. I mean, just do it. Like, it doesn't take away from me or you. So why not? Literally. Expressing your feelings. So yeah. Being vulnerable and courageous. Oh my goodness. What you need. This is one of the books I feel like my future spouse must. Honestly, it's on that. On that. Must read. Okay. I have a list. <laughs> Be like, I think there's getting to know each other dates. So, yeah, give me a reading guide. <laughs> give me a Darren Bentley reading guide. What do you think of page 105 where she said this, 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 this? this. Oh my god, yeah. No, but it, this, these are like good for conversations, in my yeah. opinion. So, you get to see how someone thinks from like talking about books, certain books, anyway. Even fiction, yeah. to be honest, I think you can do that with exactly. anything, any book. So, yeah, anyway, this is a book show. It's important. Okay, um, something that really surprised me in Daring Girl, not surprised me, but to an extent surprised me, was the self-esteem well, men. <laughs> so, the way like men's self-esteem is tied to sex is very interesting. I'm still very baffled. I know, my mom doesn't baffled for days, but I can kind of see it now, right? So basically, in the book, there was a part where um she said that she, when she was in a research, she was in a room with these men and women, and this lady was like, how... Body, women's self-esteem is tied to their body image because society wants them to look this way, look that way. And so when they're about to have sex with their husband, they're worried about, or boyfriend or whatever, they're worried about like, oh, my belly fat, my belly too fat, or is my back fat too much? And then one of the guys in the room was like, we men aren't even thinking about that. We're thinking about whether you actually want to sleep with us. And I found that very deep because the thing is she now went on to talk to this guy who was a psychologist in himself and he'd been practicing for 25 years and what he said to her was even though he's been practicing for 25 years when his wife rejects him and um, when he wants to have sex with her not for a bad reason but maybe for she's not in the mood or whatever because she shouldn't force these things anyways but when she's not in the mood clearly you can't force someone to have sex with you so, so when she's not in the mood it's not like the rejection is for a bad reason he was saying that even though he's been practicing psychology for years and he knows like he knows about self-esteem and self-worth he has to remind himself that his self-esteem is not tied to it and he still feels a bit hurt can you imagine no, he I knows imagine. he's aware of fair enough <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> rubbish <laughs> Continue. No, but then I found that very profound. What I find, why I find it very interesting, that you find some women who say that they use sex as a weapon, so they use sex as a, a form of punishment for their husband, and that's true. And I think that that is obvious. That's obviously unfair. Um, I know that obviously both sides have their problems, but it was just interesting to see how like you, the woman is definitely thinking, oh my stomach's not flat, about to go naked, because that's a part of being vulnerable, being able to be fully naked in front of somebody else. Like what? No, I think that. A big part of being vulnerable. So you're probably thinking, my stomach's not flat enough. I don't want. I don't have a six pack, or I don't even know about abs or whatever, right? No, or my maybe my boobs are too saggy, or I don't know my. I don't know. Just <laughs> just no. Remember hashtag saggy boobs, now uh-huh. Okay. Oh uh, right. Oh yeah. I yeah. Remember that. No, no, I but that. Oh, because that's the thing, though. Because when you see the image of a woman on like on adverts and like on TV, what do you see? This perfectly formed lady. I'm sorry. <laughs> just I want to take a bit of a detour. The ob- objectification of women in adverts actually irritates me. I hate. You. Yoga advert. Oh Why are people? They told you the advert. It's ridiculous. It, was it actually makes me upset. It was a butter advert, and everybody in the advert was naked. And I'm like, what are you I doing? I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I didn't even know the advert. Why are you trying to advertise cat food with like certain like images? It just does not make sense. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Nah, I was I was walking past this billboard, and this lady she had a breast. Like it was ah, uh, it was so provocative. Do you know what they advertise on? What cake? <laughs> I swear, I'm not joking. 
And it took me a few minutes to actually understand. If I didn't read the name at the bottom of the advert, I would not have known that she was advertising the cake. It looks more like they were advertising the woman than the cake. And that's... It's just, yeah, anyway, let's get back to the topic. It really interests me. Oh, we need to have a marketing book for book physicians because I'm of the opinion that marketing is one of the things that everyone needs to study. That's true. But yeah, um, so I thought that sex and self-esteem was very interesting. The way you reject your husband for sex would be more, it would be a more mindful act. It would not be stuff like, I'm not doing because you did this, this, this to me. It would be more, I'm truly not in the mood. And it's having that conversation. That is the thing. Communication is key, which also can lead on to the sliding door and disengagement thing. Because also the same guy, I think it was the same psychologist guy, who was saying how, um, for example, the the things that make, that lead to break up in marriage is not the big fights. It's the little things. It's the little moments. And he calls them sliding door moments. So, for example, give an example. One night he was reading a book, a thriller, and he really wanted to know what happened at the end. And when he went to use the bathroom, he could see through the mirror that his wife was sad. And he could have chosen to ignore that and just went into bed. But being able to stop and ask her, you don't look like your usual self, mm. what's going on, allowed her to be able to open up to him, which is what then builds trust and increases love. Because you noticed, first of all, that she was not in a good place. You stopped to ask her what was wrong with her. Me and I'm a very mushy person. I'll probably be like, oh my God. And then you, like, literally, and then you, like, have the conversation where you supported her. You chose her over Presence. that whatever book you literally you were fully present in the moment priorities you made her realize that she's here mm. like in your eyes anyway and which is it's a very nice feeling to know that someone holds you in the same way that you hold them or someone actually genuinely even if you're not married does someone genuinely cares about you right because you know how it is everyone's on their phone it takes a lot for you to see someone who pauses and puts their phone down and say okay talk to me i want to have a new role whenever people go to dinner do you there's like a thing you know it's a like i was at a group of dinner the other day people should put their phone we can't deal with boredom it's again that thing about i have to be doing something do you know why i read in mindfulness you know boredom is a state of the mind you can choose it's a state of the mind you can choose to not be bored and i didn't even say embrace boredom there's nothing wrong with being bored i embrace not having something to do but because that encourages creative thinking as well. Exactly. So play, right? Sorry. There you go. But not boredom in the sense of the word, oh, I have nothing to do. Like, I, I do not see different Conscious, boredom. yeah, okay. Conscious boredom. Let's say conscious boredom. Exactly. Right? Because in the book Mindfulness, it's like, boredom is a state of the mind. And some people would say, oh, I'm so bored. So they do, they engage in things that they would not normally do. Simply because they say they're bored. Whereas when you're mindful, okay, I'm bored, but I can change my situation by engaging in something that I like doing, reading. Even if it's watching a movie, taking a walk, where you're consciously doing something different. Not, I'll go on my phone. Because what you're doing on your phone is not really productive. It's like there's a I'll one minute, there's a one minute like, lull in conversation and everyone's phone is out and I'm just thinking, but what are you doing? I think that <laughs> what people need to do is when you, even if you take your phone, like maybe for directions because you're going to somewhere new. For, for example, no, I'm saying, no, no, I'm saying if you're leaving your house, no, 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 from your house. So you take your phone with you for directions. What people need to do when they get to you, the event or wherever it is they're going is should switch off their phones, put it on flight mode, because then you would not even get any notifications if your phone's on okay. flight mode. And don't put it on the table, put it in your bag, because it's when it's even in front of you, that's when you're tempted to take it out. When you leave, I remember my friend was telling me she stayed at work, right? And, was, sorry, a lady was in a position at her workplace, and people kept going on their phone. That's so rude. And I said, presentations, it's, do you know how hard it is? Even if you're confident. That's a moment of vulnerability. Do you know how hard it is to stand in front of people and talk to them and present to them and they're on their phone? That's because people are so rude. Oh, God. I don't even know how we got onto this. I think we should get a bag and everyone should put their phone in that bag. (laughs) Exactly. And when you're going home, you them at their phone. Exactly. Yeah. And that's someone that I use my phone a lot. But I just feel like there's certain moments where it's just, it would be common sense. The moment I bring up my phone, it makes you, in my head anyways, you think you're not as important as that 
thing that's on my phone or that message that's in my hand. So when I'm spending time with someone and if it's actually like maybe we, we arrange to meet and someone calls my phone, I don't pick up mm. because it's like I'm here present with you and then you can pick up the call. Unless it's like extremely urgent and I'm waiting for this do or die call that I've been waiting for for 10 years and then it's finally coming or something like that. I try really hard. Sometimes I forget though to not have my phone on the table because that's when it's even more easy to grab the phone and start texting. And I was talking to one of the moms of the children at two and then she, I was like, to her, have you noticed that kids get very easily distracted these days? Yeah. It's because when their parents come on most of the time, they give them tablets. So they're constantly like, watching something their mind is not focused on anything they cannot sit down for five minutes and read a book before you can be in a book for 20 minutes i remember i was telling one of the kids i'll oh, be reading today for 10 15 minutes and she wanted to cry wow like, i can't believe you're reading for 15 hard. minutes i don't wow. normally read for 15 minutes i read for 10 minutes and i was like it's not even like i'm giving oh, you but like she's choosing the book herself like it's her book that she's brought from she school to read for 10 minutes. and it's not non-fiction it's fiction and she was almost crying <laughs> about the fact that she has to read for 15 minutes. Mm. Or she would sit there and she'd do her work. And one minute later, she's playing with this. One minute later, she's like... One minute later, she cannot concentrate. It's a thing of social media, definitely. It is the age I of agree. distraction. Yeah, even for myself as well. I mean, you just have to consciously really, like... Literally, that's I have now to, you have to concentrate to, for more than Now minutes. you have to consciously tell yourself to stop. People think that being able to actually multitasking is a good thing, but it's not a good thing because then you're not... Because you can't multifocus. You can only focus on one thing. And the funny thing is that the more you try to multitask, the less productive you are being. It is. That's a fact. Right? And so it's like... I, I started watching myself when I'm... Especially when I'm doing something I don't like, I don't enjoy. I find that I get it's distracted even more easily. I've not finished doing it, but 10 minutes later, I think of this thing that I'm supposed to be doing somewhere else and all that stuff. So what I try to do is put myself in the room where I'll be. So for example, writing. I don't like writing at home. Because writing, I enjoy, but it's hard to get started. And I know that I can easily make myself do 1 million things. Especially when the, the ideas are not coming, I can easily make myself do 70 other things than writing. So I try to, first of all, change environment. And I try to put my phone on flight mode. Because when my phone's on flight mode, I pick it up and I say that, okay, it's on flight mode. It means that I would not want to, obviously, go on my phone. Um, so yeah I think it's very important and then mindfulness is key basically in every single thing that we do mindfulness is key I'm not even trying to put a blame or fresh it's just very easy to reach reach out to your phone these days Friends so are very true. convenient. I remember sometimes I'll be like, I don't I want to do that with a friend for a week and then I'm thinking emails are on my phone. Okay, maybe I can use my laptop. My alarm. I got an alarm clock. Okay, but then this person calling my mum be like, Why don't you have your phone? I've been trying to call your phone. So things yeah. like that. It's just like, Oh my goodness gracious. But I was, I was thinking maybe I should go invest in those like um twenty pound <laughs> the twenty pound phones to see because then I would not be I'd just go on Instagram. There's no Instagram on my twenty pound phone, so I'll be fine. Literally, once it's not there, it's yeah. That's that thing about temptation. Or oh, one thing I love about the weight, or any other book about temptation. It's like love don't don't think weight. that your willpower is infinite. That's what I loved. I loved when they said that. That's the biggest lesson of life. Myself, exactly. Like, if it's oh, there, I can stop myself. Literally, so just don't put yourself and in that situation. That your willpower is not. There's a limit 100. to it. Literally. So there's that thing of like, if the app is there, then guess what? You're, You're more than likely to be tempted to exactly. be Some celebrity fashion designer passed away. Yeah. Uh, last week, Michael Mann. But they, they said it's mental health football. They haven't said it's suicide, but they said he was going through a lot. Wait, who? Mac Miller. And there's some guy called Michael Mann. Oh, is a fashion designer for some celebrities wow. and people said it was, it was quite young people said it was going wow. through a lot of mental health yeah. um, issues and um, yeah so like it's things like this though like maybe someone could maybe someone could have noticed but because of the way life is going now people barely pay attention exactly. to themselves let alone someone else, someone else. 
So one of my favorite aspects of this book was the three forms of shielding that she talks about, like shielding mm-hmm. in terms of what protects, what we use as protection Against from vulnerability. vulnerability. The first one is foreboding joy. The second, perfectionism. And the third, numbing. So I was saying that, um, you know how in Islam they say Ihsan is a part of the religion, so a third of your religion. Mm-hmm. And the f- before, how people used to translate Ihsan to me was striving for perfection. So that was like the um, definition I had in my head. And I was always like, oh, I'm striving for perfection. But the day I found that the difference between perfectionism and excellence, my definition That's changed. You can never difference. ever hear me say the word striving for perfection what does that like you can never be perfect and that's actually one of the worst mindsets to have like i'm striving for perfection because you're always going to beat yourself up for the it's fact detrimental. that you're never perfect you're imperfect and you're always going to be measuring your work against this infinite thing that you can never get to whereas with excellence is just are you doing the best that you can in the moment with the resources that you have which is all you can do literally uh-huh. yeah basically perfection doesn't exist it's a form of protection because you don't it want is. to criticize you don't want to be judged you think but that then that stops you from doing it stops you from a lot of things you don't put your work out there why because in your mind you're like it's not there yet it's not there yet but then when we leave it there it's the never that's true <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like every writer even when the writing is published oh, we yeah. still have something you still have like something that, that I want to change like, about it true. yeah and that's what because if you keep be. waiting for perfection then you're never going to publish your book or you're never going to do this thing that you want to do exactly or you're never going to talk about this project that you want to write or make or whatever because you're thinking but it's not there yet how about you just put it out there and then Whatever people have to say is feedback. You can take it in and try to work on it. You take the job, do it. Well, foreboding joy. Before I read this book, I used to do it. Same. And then when I read this, I was like, oh my god! So there's a name for this <clears> thing. <throat> but then it made me more conscious, though. So I don't do it anymore. Well, normally, so basically, foreboding joy is like. Um, so she gave an example for herself. So when she looks at her kids and she's happy in the moment, but then immediately she thinks about, she pictures them in the worst possible scenario. Yeah, worst and that takes like away from her being able to love them as much as she wants to. And what she says has helped her work on this was practicing gratitude. Because if you're able to bring yourself up to the present and you're thankful for the fact that they're here right now, or you're able to experience moments together, you're able to enjoy the moment. I think one time I did do this for Brady and Joe was in... I'll never forget that day, God. Twenty sixth of February. When I got the email from the new school that said I got into the new school for psychology. Yeah. I wish I enjoyed the moment more before I started to worry about the scholarship. Because literally as soon as I read the email, I read the first and I was like, Oh my god, I got in and then I was like but then they were like, Oh, we're only offering you thirty five percent scholarship and I was like, Oh my god, we would I get the rest of the sixty five percent? And then from that moment on I was just stressing. So I was just like I should have enjoyed the moment. Look I should have just bust. You can't get it back. Of, That's the thing. This year of that moment where it was like, oh my god, I actually got in. And being proud of yourself and, and your accomplishments. And I guess that was an interesting experience, though. But I, f- I used to do that a lot, to be honest. In a lot of things, you'd see someone and immediately picture. Imagine if something bad happens, and then imagine if they're going oh, to a car crash. Did you see the example she gave of the man who was when his wife died that he wished that he had lived life better? She said it didn't feel like he expressed love the way he wanted to. Because he was probably enjoying so much. And it was like no matter how much you prepare for the worst case scenario it never prepares you for the it never actually prepares you for the worst case scenario and that's it that's actually so why it. are you putting yourself through punishment and stress when you're still going to go through that same punishment and stress when whatever it is your picturing does happen i think everyone should actually have a gratitude journal write at least three things you're grateful for it changes different things every day by things, the way yeah because it changes your perspective and the way if you're struggling to do your gratitude journal imagine your life without certain things because sometimes you, it's like it can feel very what do you call it you lacking emotion i mean oh i'm thankful for my family but I want you to like, imagine life without your family. Yeah, I mean, even though it sounds like forbidden, but it's not actually. That's not, not the point f- I'm trying to drive at. But I've, I'm saying like, if you're not feeling it, like for example, 
I'm grateful for food. Okay, but what does that mean to you? That's yeah, true. Like, because I remember I read some lady's example. Take she was it talking in. about mindfulness. I think she must have been like, mindfulness has been able to say, okay, I'm eating this food and I, I am thankful for the fact that we get different tastes. So imagine if all food tastes the same. The fact that we get different flavors to food, different mm. textures to food. I get a choice. Break I can decide to choose this food instead of that food. Stuff like that. That helps you to be more much thankful. more grateful. And when we say like, oh, imagine life about your family, it's not in that sense, but think about it. If I didn't have a sister, my life would take a totally different turn. Not like, oh, my best was dead. No, it's just if I didn't have yeah. this, if this my life would be so different. Life, exactly. How would your life I change? love how, um, I just saw the 31 days it was so challenge. Cute. I thought it was very, because every I day she it. had something specific and different. I liked the one where she's actually thankful for the gift of sight. Yes. For the gift of choice because imagine if you didn't have choice in your life. She was such a thankful for her neck at some point being able to I turn. Know, it's and that's now. so true because some people you can't can be paralyzed. Exactly. There's so many things that we take for granted. So many things. I'm telling you she was grateful for water and I was like imagine life about water. Please ever I'll everyone that died As in, what long is time ago. It's so precious. And the new the certain thing about water is we have no control over it. That's why all the reflections about water in the Quran actually always get some. That is for me when I was in sixth form. That ayah, there was an ayah in Surah Waqiyah that talks about like rain, withholding rain, and then Mm -hmm. the fact that Allah Subhanahu is closer to us in death. Like if you truly like, you talk about loving someone, Mm -hmm. but Allah is closer to them in like if you because you love them so much, you can't even bring them back. Like Mm -hmm. that power isn't Mm -hmm. Allah, but it's true. That thing about rain, you know, sometimes people are yamming. It's like God doesn't exist. I'm like, you know what makes me realise? Every time I read Surah <laughs> Mulukra, like, the last verse says, so if Allah was to take away the water, so if Allah was to dry, dry Bam, out your ground, that's it. what would you do? You're and, done. And, and so that's a reflection question. Because <laughs> what would you actually do? We can't make water. I know we all say water is H2O, but can you really make water that you can drink? On the scale that we need it, no. it you just can't. It's a huge blessing of God that we have not even... What, we, would, what would the plant lives do without the water? You know what God says? No. If you come on the Day of Judgment... And you're like, I want to get into Jannah because of my deeds or my gratitude. Mm-hmm. Nothing we ever do in our life be enough. Will ever, even ju- just even the, that, one sip of water that you drank today, you, your entire you, life of deeds cannot measure up to it. So you just, you know it's because of God's mercy. It's where actually it's because of God's mercy. Basically. May Allah continue to be merciful to us. Because we need Him. And, and there's a the thing about numbing as well, where um, people would, food... And I think people need to actually stop and ask themselves when they see themselves eating a lot. When you say, like, oh, I'm craving this, then why are you why craving, are you craving it? it? Because you actually just want to taste it. Or because you're going to... You know, some people have this thing of the comfort foods when I'm going to... I do. Open, I just Chocolate. resort to... Yeah, you, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, you guilty. I just resort to eating. Sugar. But then it's like, are you running away from your emotions? Because the, thing, the sad thing about numbing, though, is that at the end of the day, you have to face this thing. You numb it now, but when it's over like when it wears off you have to and that's where addiction feeds in because you continually want to numb literally it's like a persistent like desire because you can't face reality and it's so sad because again it's just a vicious cycle it is because when you when the numbing the effects of numbing wear off you have to face it but you can't face it you numb it again and that could lead to death which is not what you want yeah so many deep thoughts you need to read this book okay another thing i loved about this book loved that she pointed out because i noticed some people is the customer service thing and Uh being seen so she said how a lot of the times we when we go to stores and we're being served as people we treat them like objects because we see them as like lesser than us so you just see them as someone who is serving you you don't stop to engage in conversation it can be not engage in conversation but you don't even acknowledge acknowledge you can be on the phone that's it while someone is serving you while someone is serving you you can even be on the phone and instead of you to like 
pause and answer because sometimes they ask you questions but you don't even stop to say okay let me talk to the person that's serving me you'll be like yeah yeah, yeah that, 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 that. I said you're not human beings imagine if you're talking to someone and they're on the phone whilst they're answering you that's not nice yeah, yeah. and I know she was like she interviewed quite a few people with customer service and they said that that's how they're being treated and I asked a couple of friends actually and they were like when they worked customer service roles they felt like they were invisible to people one girl shared the story of what happened to her friend with me she was like, a friend went to McDonald's and this customer was really annoyed about something and she poured her drink on her and I said, for you to do that to home another training. human being. Along that. But then there's levels to home training, isn't it? But then I guess what I'm saying that for you to be that kind of person, then there must be a problem. That's the next How level. How can you be you. so angry as to pour a drink on someone, on someone else. else? But if for you to be able to do that, it must be because you see them as less than you. Inferior. You can only do that to someone that you don't see as on the same level as you. And that's like, why do we see people who serve as people that are less than us? Eye contact goes a long way. Definitely. Because yes. when I make eye contact to you, it means I can see you I can, and I can hear you. You don't even have to say, I tell me your life story. I'm not interested. Just say, <laughs> hi, or how are you doing? Or how was your day? Like, you know, when you stop into to like to be served by someone or when you go to a coffee shop or when you usually be buying groceries and stuff because they're human beings as well imagine sitting down in the same spot all day for hours seven people and not being able to engage in conversation with anyone else that job would kill me they would so i think that it's very important for us to be aware of this that's why i want to talk about it because i think we encounter the people that are serving us every single day in our lives when yeah. we go to the shop when we go to the store and go to a restaurant so how do we treat them do we treat them with kindness or do we just disrespect them because they're serving us and we're like, oh, I'm paying for your service, so <laughs> why should I? Why should people I have that attitude you? of it's their job anyway, so why should I? Even like, the way you like, treat people, thank you to the bus driver, like, uh, sometimes people be like, oh, why is their job? It's their job anyway. You know what pisses me off? People that litter the ground. So we litter and I ask them why they litter and they'll be like, but it's, it's their job to clean it anyway. Does that mean you shouldn't be a decent human being? Literally. Mm. On two quotes that we want to discuss. First one. Are you the adult that you want your child to grow up to be? That was such a good question for me. I think that this is something to keep in mind now. Even if you don't want to read any book to help you change your character, this is something to keep in mind if you intend to bring children to this world. Are you the kind of parent or adult you want your child to be? I asked my friend this question. Right. Um, and then she was like, she doesn't think she is, but she's working towards it. And I was like, as long as you have that in mind. So for me, I think I am working towards the person I want my children to be. I'm trying to instill the values in myself first that I want my children to uphold in their lives. But that's why I think that compatibility is important as well because I'm asking myself even the adult I want my child to be, but I'm not going to be the only one that raised my child mm. by God's grace. So I, that's why I would want to marry someone who upholds similar values to me, working towards a recommended adult who want our children to be. It's really important. You're never too young to start considering that. Even if you're a parent, you can then start to think about the decisions that you make on a daily basis if the my child was to do this would i like it would i criticize them or would i praise them mm. for it i remember that there was a story in the book that she shared how this parents having a meeting in school about where to host an event and there's there's a lady's name was mentioned and the parents said something bad about the woman's house mm. so when this lady's going home she's in the car with a child in the car the child asked her mom are you okay and then she was like yeah she's fine and then when they got home the boy started crying and the mom was like why are you crying and she he was like i think something is wrong with you not in a bad way but because you said that we only talk bad about people when we don't feel good about ourselves and then she realized that it's what she's been teaching the kids obviously she's acted different from how she's been teaching the kids and she could have just told him or oh, get out or go to your room but she said I'll talk to you about this later. She needed time to okay, acknowledge what just mm-hmm. happened and time to deal with the situation. And I love that she actually dealt with it. So she sat him down and she said, you know what, we all 
make mistakes or we will do some things that is out of our character and what's important is for us to then make the right decision so i'm so glad that obviously that's the value that she's been teaching her child such that he even pointed it out to his mom so that's the kind of relationship i'd want to have with my children children learn so, more from what we do I'm than telling what we say you. Oh, so i'm so fine. glad that she's raised the child in such a way that he could even pause to ask his mom that question and know that it's out of character for literally. her literally that's a good yeah. thing. You do, don't you want your child to grow up to be systematic? I think I'm on the journey as well, but then to be honest, do you want to ask the question? <laughs> that is the ultimate question. Okay, next quote. We can't give our children what we don't have. Because if you say you want a child who's going to be amazing, intelligent, compassionate, are you compassionate yourself? It's I think it's actually really good to write a list of things you want your children that you want your children to have and so then evaluate on a scale of 1 to 10. True. Do I and have start it? Working towards and then like it. three steps under each one and then just go through the list and try and do everything at the same time. Because you kill yourself one step at a time, one step at a time and do it. Okay, what's That's the... advice for myself as well. What's worth doing even if I fail? <gasps> That's what I was saying about like how I said living my life literally is this quote is the key to success. Because it's like in life, if anything that's worth the struggle, you'd probably fail exactly. at it, to be honest. So many things. Because that's what helps you grow and become better or create. You have like different versions of like a software all the time because there's always an improvement I going mean, in. And how do you improve it? <laughs> and the fact that it keeps stealing your money. People. I'm telling you. And mm. then how do improvements happen if you don't fail, if you don't do something wrong? So I think the way you should approach everything in life is, is it worth it? what's worth doing even if I fail because I think that also helps you realise what your purpose is mm. because your purpose is not it's not supposed to be easy right but it's also something that even if it's not going well you're willing to push and carry it until you see the results that you want to whatever the obstacles so if I really like that question so if you're struggling with finding your purpose you might want to ask yourself that question wow that's a deep one what's worth doing even if I fail if you need a career change, career change, ask yourself that question. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. You, exactly, it's true now. Okay, next one. When people get yeah. together and talk bad about someone just because they're different, it means they might feel bad about themselves. When we feel good about who we are, we don't say mean things about other people. Can I just start on this, please? Yes. Social media. When I see people who have enough time, enough audacity, time to go on other people's page and insult them and troll and be mean and be people horrible people, mean that tells me something reason. about who you are. I know, people don't realise it. It's all about who you are, not the person you're talking about. Some people, you don't even know them. You don't know them. But you just... It, Thinking about their life. You just think it's okay to just come onto someone's page and be like, why do you do this? Is it your business? I feel like social media makes you see the ugly side of people. I'm not True. saying you have to like everything that you see because sometimes there are things that seem to happen. No, but I feel like people, people fail to understand this. If you don't like something or someone that's posting something, unfollow them. Why Why would you follow someone for the sake of, or for the sole purpose Trolling. of wanting to insult them? Please. Because it's a choice. Actual. It's actually a choice. I say this, I don't like it. I can scroll past it. It's not by force. You disagree, it's fine. Okay, this is a similar quote. Research tells us that we judge people in areas where we're vulnerable to shame, especially picking folks who are doing worse than we're doing. If I feel good about my parenting, I have no interest in judging other people's choices. If I feel good about my body, I don't go around making fun of other people's weight or appearance. You know what? I read something very similar to this in the book, Mindfulness. This book is coming up a lot. I remember one of the chapters at the end that said, start making sure that for every decision you make, you write your intentions and the reason why you're doing it. Because then when people, when you start to feel... Like, you need to judge someone else what they need to go back and remind yourself why you chose to do it in the first place. And she gave an example of how, for example, someone can be choosing to walk as an exercise and she might just enjoy walking. But in the moment someone points out to her that why is she not jogging instead, she starts to see herself as, categorise herself, or people start to categorise her exercise as 
not jogging instead mm. of just I am choosing to walk because walk. I like walking not I'm not jogging because so it obviously shows how you define your experience but yeah I just think this is so important because when you're comfortable with your decisions why would you then judge you someone judge else's anyone. decision even if the person is doing something that is a polar opposite of what you're doing you would not literally because the thing is you should be open to the fact that there's so many different perspectives in life and just because you're right doesn't make someone else wrong i think this needs to be like ingrained in people's memory i've been trying to do this a lot (laughs) to people now every time someone does something and they like criticize i'm like just because you're right doesn't make this person wrong because people see things differently and people find it hard to accept this because you're so used to a world where it's you're either right or wrong but it's like no there are other yeah the other perspective to these things mindfulness she talks about it a lot that for example you could see a couple would argue but maybe some lady would be like i don't like your attitude to this thing or maybe you meant to take out the bin but you always annoyed that i didn't take out the bin in the morning and she's like if you can pause and ask me so why is it so important to you that i do this thing and then i tell you then you can be like okay this person is not doing this thing because they want to spite me or for this reason this is their own perspective of how they see this maybe for me taking at the bin in the morning means that i don't have to worry about it at night but then for them it's like in the morning means that maybe the, the animals or the foxes will come or something so let me take it out in the night because then the bin is being taken out in the morning and the next morning anyway stuff like that just being able to be open to other perspectives allows you to see that, okay, your right doesn't make someone else's wrong. Someone else's wrong doesn't make you right or someone else's right doesn't make you wrong either. Um, it allows you to be introspective. Right. Like, whenever you feel yes. you're about to start judging, just think, ooh, It gives room for empathy as well. Here? Do I feel insecure about something in my life? Then I mm-hmm. need to address that rather than literally, project that onto literally. someone else. And I really oh my it. God, when I act out of character, sometimes I have to stop and ask myself, why did I do this? It must be because I'm insecure about something. Not, because, it's not because of them, because it's something you do and because of something else in they your are life. Moments for you to mm-hmm. be like, oof, I need to reflect on this. Okay, How did I react in this manner. Second to last, I see the cultural messaging everywhere that says an ordinary life is a meaningless life. People keep thinking that their work is defined by all that they do. If I, if I tell you that all I do is in my nine to five job, I start even though, before I even say that, I'll be like, oh, I only do a nine to five job. I see if that's like a bad thing. There's no even need for a comparison. I do my nine to five job. I wake up early, I go to work, I come back, I'm satisfied. This is what I value my exactly. job. And I know the difference I'm making in my company, even if you don't see it or it doesn't come up as one of those things that you can share on social media, it's fine. But these days, everybody wants to be known, isn't it? So therefore, you have to feel like, oh, you're doing the most or you're doing a lot. Well, something to pay attention to. Something to pay a lot of attention and to. And to remind yourself of, yeah. okay, maybe I'm not known on social media, but does that mean that my life is worthless? Does that affect because the value of my work? Literally. Does that affect the impact of my work? what do you value yourself? Exactly. Not what other people would value. But again, remember, in this life, human beings are very fickle. They can like you today for doing one million things, but then they can hate you tomorrow for doing one million things. <laughs> Do you... Last one. Last quote. The difference between shame and guilt is best understood as the difference between I am bad and I did something bad. Guilt equals I did something bad. Shame is I am bad. We talked about this before, but to round it up, it's just that when you say... When you're able to separate yourself from the things that you do, you leave room for change. And when you don't separate yourself from the things that you do, then there's no room for change. You accept this quality as your inherent quality. I remember I was talking to someone who I know that gets annoyed easily. And I was like, what you did was uncalled for. And then he was like, but that's how I am. And I said, that's a very, very stupid excuse. <laughs> no, I said, I said, you're making excuses. And I feel like he, no one has ever made, no one has ever made him see it that way, that it's an excuse. So that's how I am doesn't mean anything to me. That's how you are. So what are you doing to change it? Because mm. that's how you are doesn't mean that that's how you're going to be for the rest of your life. You can choose 
how you react yeah, the next you time you're in the situation. But I feel like I had to point it out. I like doing that, you know. You do that. You know. <laughs> like I had to. No, because I feel like some people don't know these things, so you have to let them know. It's only if you then know and then you choose to, but like, either way, I'll still point it out. <laughs> that's my own. But I, I just felt like, it. know that excuses don't take you anywhere. Because you can't keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. result. So if I you know that every time someone annoys you, this is how you react, then what can you do differently next time someone annoys you? And prepare for it. I don't like when people say, that's how I am. <sighs> it's just an excuse. You just use it to justify so many things that are really passionate over here. Yeah, just saying. Anyway, all right, closing the show with our favorite quotes. Sometimes the bravest and most important thing to do oh, is just show up. Oh my god, you don't even know how much of an impact this oh. has in my life. Some days when writing is a struggle, just saying I put up my laptop on the table and I wrote, even though it's not my target words I wanted to write for the day, mm. I wrote. And in my head, I'm like, you showed up, girl. It's very easy it to be like, I'm just gonna, I don't, I'm not in the mood, I'm just gonna stay yeah. in bed today. Oh but you can choose to get out of bed and do something differently. Sure. So, yeah, I think showing up is key. Remember the situation that she shared, the do- a daughter um, was going to go swimming and she didn't think she was good enough. Yeah, she thought she was like, what's the bad. point of going? I'll be the slowest anyway. And then Brenda was like, as much as she wanted to tell her child that it's okay to not go, she wanted her to realize that it's not about the winning that's mm. important it's about being there and being present experiencing the moment yes you're not going to be the best but it's fine you were sure. there you didn't run away from that's the thing, you didn't run away from it and she did she went there and she enjoyed the moment so i think showing up was an important yeah. thing for me a lot of the times i try to remind myself when i'm feeling lazy i'm like really just show up show up be there do it what counts is yeah. that you showed up or sometimes my day doesn't go as planned or maybe i wanted to write i don't know something but i couldn't write it i'd be like important is that you actually started it you took the step exactly. and it's okay to not finish it because you actually took what's your favorite mine point? is until we can receive with an open heart we are never really given with an open heart when we attach judgment to receiving help we knowingly or unknowingly attach judgment to giving help that's so true that's the last thing about how like when you do something for someone or when you tell someone you love them you've been able to do that or say that without expecting something in return mm. it's just it's, a, it's, it's vulnerability it itself, vulnerability so. right what's the latest book that you're reading the women the women next door right you and they are Matasha. and the book is set in mainly in south africa where she goes to a part of, she goes to ibadan at some point so she goes to nigeria she talks about a part in england because one of them was lived in England for a while before she went to South Africa. And one of the women actually is black and the other one's white. So yeah, she talked about that. And avoiding your privileges and then having to confront them. Mm. That's a big part of the story. That's good. I think the story for me though, it was, she's a good writer because she was nominated for, I think she was long listed for the Bailey's Women Fiction. That's how I knew about her. The same year has stayed with me. But I feel like the story took a while for me to actually get into it. But once you get into it, then yeah. That's good. Basically, but I feel like maybe for me it was because there were no characters I was rooting for. As usual, I don't like reading. I don't like when I don't have a character I'm rooting for. Mm, but yeah, that's, that, that was what it was for me. What are you currently that's reading? Good. I am reading Cal Newport's Deep Work. I really love. It's a. I really re- want to. Cal Newport in general. I just want to know how he does all of it because he writes all these books on different topics like he wrote they're so good they can't ignore you why passion he is and not. that guy what's the he and my, Ryan Holiday, they just PhD give me professor he has a family he's writing seven journals which are is really hard a year and he's also writing books 
I just want to know. But do you put I really want good. to sit down with him and what's the guy Ryan Holiday. Yeah, I want to shadow people like them and just. I'm telling you, just to see how they live their life. And I'll be your intern. Don't pay I'm me, it's fine. Yeah. I'm going to go and find um, Ryan Holiday when I go to the States. I, yeah, I finished Ego's the Enemy. I love that. That's it. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Book Forsations. We hope you've gained benefit from the discussion. You can find the book review on myrehla.com. Email us your thoughts at bookforsationspod at gmail.com and let us know what books you want us to check out. Till next time. Remember to read it. I wasn't going to do it.